Welcome to the Scaling Freelance Podcast, where successful freelancers, consultants, and solopreneurs tell us exactly how they started working for themselves and started to live a life on their own terms. Each episode features real stories packed with real salary numbers, business tactics, and lifestyle hacks that will inspire you to get serious about the business side of freelancing. So my best month was May 2018. I probably brought in like close to $20,000. $15,000, usually around 10K a month. I think I did like $20,000 worth of photography gigs, which was extraordinary. Come hang out with me and other growth-minded freelancers at scalingfreelance.com. I'm your host, Sean Crow, and here's today's episode. Hey everybody, our guest today is Nicholas Mowgli. Nicholas is an illustrator, lettering artist, graphic designer, and art director from the Midwest in Cincinnati, and specializes in creating posters, key art, and alamart for the music and entertainment industry. Nicholas has worked with several Grammy award-winning artists, which is pretty cool, can't wait to dig into that, uh, multiple Fortune 500 companies, international apparel and beverage brands, and has had his work shown in galleries around the world. Well, let's start off with the basics and see how I did on your bio. Tell us who you are and what type of work you do. Uh, I mainly specialize in creating, as you said, gig posters, tour posters, key art for the music industry. It's something that's been, I, I grew up playing in bands and um, it just kind of grew from there of doing artwork for my own bands and shows that we played and bands that we played with and kind of grew over the years into working with, as you said, Grammy winning artist and um, some of my favorite bands. So it's been, it's been an interesting and awesome experience to go through that for the past few years and hope it continues. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to see how, how you ended up getting some pretty high profile clients. Um, but before we, yeah. we get to that point, can you give us a sense of how your business is structured right now? Is it just you? Do you have subcontractors? What are all the moving pieces in your life right now with your business? Sure. It's, it's pretty, one thing I try to do is I try to keep my business pretty slim um, and easy to change and shift as I want it to. So it's really just me doing the large majority of the work. I have an accountant that I work with that helps with um, mostly tax-based stuff, but some other financial um, issues or um, you know, things that I just don't know um, in the financial realm. And then um, I work with a few different contractors that really just do printing for me because a lot of the gig posters or every gig poster needs to be printed. So I used to handle that on my own um, about three years ago. I was designing and printing everything. And then once it got into, you know, like thousands of posters, I was like, I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> And then, you know, I'm starting to not have time to actually like work on other projects because I'm in the studio printing things. So I was like, okay, that's one thing I can ship out to a third party. And that was an awesome um, decision to make. And um, other than that, it's, it's really just me kind of wearing every hat. I have some people that help out with fulfillment type stuff because I also have an online store that I sell all the, a lot of the posters and other products on. So I have some people helping me with fulfillment, but there's still, you know, it's a lot of times me sitting there. Like if you get something from my store, like it's most likely I've like packed that thing and shipped it out. So it's, 
it's still very um, slim at this point and small. And I like to keep it that way. I don't want to have like any, like I work from home. I love my home studio and office and um, I don't want to have any additional expenses or anything that I really don't need just because as you know, and as any freelancer knows, like there's some months where it's like, well, I can't wait to get paid next month on this project or whatever. And I'm not getting a paycheck this month. So mm-hmm. I don't want any like bloat or anything if I don't have to have it. Yeah, that makes sense. So take us back to when you first decided to go full-time freelance. Where were you at in your life and how did that come about? Sure. So um, I was a senior designer at a small agency that was about 20 people at the time um, in Cincinnati called Hyperquake. And they mostly focused on branding. Um, They did some sort of like ad campaign type stuff as well as um, like actually physical exhibit design, which was really cool. Um, And that was about, I guess that was about four years or five years ago that I started there. And I worked there for a little over a year and I'd been freelancing since, I don't know, eight years ago and just always on the side as a lot of designers do who work for agencies or anything or developers. Um, So I was always freelancing and it was just kind of slowly building and building. And when I took the job at Hyperquake, I remember thinking like, if I don't get, if I don't get offered this position, like I'm just going to go freelance, but this is really the only job that I want like the pay was really good and I, the work was something I really liked to do. So I fortunately got that job, which was a great experience, but about a year, nine months in, I was like getting that itch and the freelance stuff was like really starting to build. And I was just like looking forward to going home to then start work hmm. again, like at six yeah. o'clock at night on all the freelance projects that I had. So um, at one point I was just like, okay, I need to do this. So I made like a three month plan where I was like, okay, start saying yes to every single freelance job that comes through, like get your schedule as full as you can. And I had been saving money and sticking money aside um, as well. So I had like this nice cushion. I knew like, okay, if the first like six months are rough, like I at least have this cushion I can fall back on so I can pay my mortgage still. So Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I I um I let them know, and um, I guess it was about three and a half years ago that I I left and haven't looked back since. Well, wow, that's awesome. So it sounds like you were you were doing some freelance. Uh, you said eight years basically before you even jumped into full time freelance. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that was like getting those that first group of clients while you were still in your full time job? Yeah. So it kind of just happened organically. Like it'd be, you know, it started with friends or acquaintances or, you know, friends of friends that were like, Hey, I know you're a designer. Can you, I'm starting this business. Can you do a logo for me or whatever it may be? Um, And it kind of started small like that. And like I said, I was also playing in bands uh, up through like my mid twenties and doing work for, you know, doing show posters and merch designs and album covers and all that sort of stuff. And that was kind of slowly growing too. Um, But yeah, like I remember, like I said before, just like being so excited, like running home literally on lunch breaks to like work on freelance stuff for like an hour if I could. 
but yeah, it was just a slow build. It just started like, you know, people would send me a message on Facebook, like, Hey, I know you do this. Would you be willing to help for do this logo for 500 bucks back then? Especially I'd be mm-hmm. like an extra 500 bucks. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> hell so, yeah. um, yeah, it just started like that. That's cool. So what was, was there a final straw then for you to, to leave your job? Cause that's a big decision. Like you must've had a, either a lot of work lined up and ready to go, or there was something that you were like, okay, it's time. I have to leave and do and, and do this yeah. full time. <laughs> it was a little of both. Like the work had definitely been coming in um, more often and like better, cooler projects. Um, so that definitely helped, but there's also a thing like I think I was 20. I don't think how old I was, maybe 25 or 26, and when I was still working there, and I just had this like thought where I was like, I don't want to turn 30 and still be doing like something for someone else. Like I've always hated getting older. I still do, and. Um, <laughs> Like, I just had this thought where I was like, I don't want to be that old guy and old as in like turning 30. Like, I don't want to be that guy and like still working for an agency, like not doing like the exact thing that I wanted to do. Because I saw a lot of those people who are like in their 30s and 40s at agencies. And I'm like, just seeing that it really wasn't like their dream. And they kind of like started down this route of like, okay, well, you get a job. You know, you buy a house, you have, you get married, you have kids, like that's your route. And I was just like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that like lane. And I feel like if I stay with agency stuff, I'm just be like settling down and doing the normal thing. And it just didn't, didn't strike me as like, that's what my life is going to be or I want it to be. Yeah, that makes sense. So what, what about the freelance life then was, was so appealing to you? I think, I mean, it's a lot of things. I, since I was like the earliest that I remember where I like started kind of my own little company, I think I was either 14 or 15 and it was like with one of my buddies ever since then, like I've just always kind of been like an entrepreneur or like wanting to do my own thing. That was like what excited me doing stuff for like for someone else was just never like I don't know. It, it never did it for me. And I was always like, what do, what am I excited about? What do I want to do right now? And, and it sounds like a little selfish and I guess it is in a way, but it's just cause I want my life to be what I want it to be. So um, I think part of it, there's just this like innate something in me that's always wanted to like run their own business and handle their own affairs and everything. And then the other part of it too is just the creative freedom. Like when I, when you work at agencies, your art director or creative director gives you a project and it's like, Hey, you know, here's what you're doing for the next, it could be like six months. Like I've worked on projects before where it was like, Hey, this is your next, next three months of your life. And that's like something I'm not really excited about. It's like, okay. It's like, Hey, here's Mm -hmm. an internal, um, like cataloging system for PNG and you're going to spend three months on it. And I'm just like, okay, like, all right. Like I know I and it's I not like to. the worst thing, of course, you know, like you still get to design and create and be creative, but it's still just like, man, that is not what I would have picked if I like had my druthers to do what I wanted to do. So I think that that mm. freedom 
was like another enormous part of it. I couldn't do like another social media post for a huge brand where it was like someone sees it for five minutes and it, you know, then it's gone. <laughs> like the next day, it doesn't even matter that you made that. So I couldn't do that anymore. For sure. For sure. So tell us about then how, how you got your first group of clients when you left your full-time job. What did you do to actively source these clients yeah. and these leads? So a lot of it was, well, it was a lot of everything as well. But um, one thing I did before I left my job is, like I said, I like tried to stick this cushion aside of money um, so I wouldn't have to worry too much. And then the other thing I did is I rebuilt my entire portfolio site. I like really honed in on what I was posting on social media and trying to just like care about that more instead of just like posting random things, but kind of being really conscious of it and being like, okay, well, one thing I've always said is what you put out there is what you get back. So like if you're posting branding stuff all the time, like you're going to get a lot of branding requests and you know, that just goes on. So um, I started being a little more conscious and aware of what I was posting and putting out there and same with my portfolio site of before I'd be like, well, this is what I did at this agency and blah, blah, blah. And then I started being like, okay, well, this is what I want to do. This is the type of illustration work or branding work that I actually want to do. So a big part of it was just putting that out into the world. Um, because I think that's almost like your best, that's been my best like marketing tactic or sales tactic is just like posting the work. And it sounds simple and it is. And um, so that was a big part of it. The other thing, like I said before, is I just started saying yes to every single thing. So, you know, you get in weird emails. Like one of the first things that I did when I, the first like Monday, I left on a, my job on a Friday and the first like Monday of me being completely on my own, I had a meeting to do. Um, I also grew up like developing, doing front end development, um, which I, I don't, I know how to do still, but I don't do like for clients and I haven't for years, but the first thing that I did was um, a front-end development project for like an industrial company that makes like uh, fasteners and stuff like that, which is one of my friend's companies, which was great. It was like a great kind of lead-in project and, you know, it like kept me busy for a month and stuff. But I just said yes to everything at first and it could have been any random weird project. I was like, I just need to get income going. I need to like, get this whole thing figured out of just being completely on my own. So I started eventually whittling down from there and like getting to do exactly what I want to do. But at first it was just like whatever I can get. Yeah. So how did you go from having to say yes to everything and just doing whatever, even front end work to working with these huge bands? Um, Cause I think I saw on your web, I was really happy that you did the Mowgli's cause a, it's it, it. I think your last name's pronounced like that, or at least it's close. <laughs> so I was yep. actually browsing yeah. your site, and like I had the Mowgli song in my head, and then I was like, "Oh, That's you actually funny. did their yeah, <laughs> um, yeah." So that was, um, and that kind of goes back to like what you put out there is what you get back. So um, I got kind of randomly asked to do so, or I, I guess I should start here. I have a few friends that a few good friends that are in like really deep in the music industry that uh, just so happens. Like I grew up in it playing in bands and stuff and did band work. And then have a few buddies that 
I've grown up with that also kind of ended up in the music industry. So um, one of them, and I'll shout him out, Charlie Wagers. He's a great graphic designer and illustrator um, who lives in Pittsburgh. Um, he had a project, or he got asked to do a project, uh, a poster for this band, American Football, who's one of my favorite bands. I've listened to him since I was like a freshman in high school. Um, and he didn't have the time to do it. He was like too wrapped up on another project. And so he was talking to me about it. And I was like, dude, can you like recommend me for that project? Like, I'll do it for whatever. And he was like, okay, sure. So he recommended me. I actually ended up doing the project, which was great. And um, it kind of started from the, like, it didn't start from there, but that really was like a catalyst for it continuing of, you know, just posting band work. And then another buddy asked me to do a shirt design for um, this guy, Josh Ritter, who's a pretty um, well-known folk musician in that scene. And uh, it just kind of went from there. And I was like, okay, you did these t-shirts, you do these posters. And it just kind of slowly like started building that way of the more I posted that work, I started getting less requests for anything else, first of all, because I think people just inherently thought, okay, he does work for bands. Like, I'm not going to ask him to do this other random, like a website design or something, um, which was great. Mm -hmm. And then also the people that saw that thought that needed that work were like, oh, great. He does work for bands. We're looking for a poster, t-shirt, album, whatever it is. So it was, it actually is kind of crazy looking back. Um, and it still kind of is this way of like, you'll just get an email. Like a big part of it too is I'm, like I said, I try to be on social media and really active on like Instagram and Facebook and keep my website really updated. So, um, you know, like I'll just get an email. Like I just got an email one day from this band, the Avid Brothers, who's another one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Like, yeah. Love they're the great. Avid Brothers. Like I just randomly got an email, had no connection to them whatsoever. Um, they were like, Hey, one of our fans recommended you i don't know who that person was or how it all worked out but they're like one of our fans like loves your work and they told us about you and now two years later i've done seven posters for them wow and so it's just kind of like happened that way like some some of it i've reached out to people like i did work for dave matthews band because they're a great like poster band like their fans go like over their posters. It's just like a huge scene. So I actually reached out to them and then they got back to me like, yeah, that'd be great. And so it's, it's been a little bit of both, but um, it's been a lot of like, I put it out into the world and on Instagram and social media and online. And I still just get random emails all the time from fans <laughs> where I'm like, how did you even find me? Like this band, the head and the heart. I love the head and the heart. I yeah. like seen them uh, at a festival like several years ago. I just got a random email from them one day. Like, hey, we'd love you to do our tour poster. I'm like, great. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a lot of, um, I don't know if I'd call it luck. Maybe it's luck, but it's kind of going back to what I said before of like my best sales and marketing is just putting out the work. And I think yeah, it, if you like put out good work, obviously it's not just like, you know. Yeah. So how do you decide what to charge um, or how to charge, I guess, for projects like this? Because I, I, I'm i just going to assume here that you're not just charging hourly for, for doing a poster, um, or are you? No. Yeah, it's not hourly. Um, 
Yeah, the, the posters are interesting. It's not like a typical project. So a typical project, you know, is, hey, we need a logo or even we need album art and, um, you know, okay, well, here's the flat rate design or the flat rate for the design and then that's it. But for the mm -hmm. posters, you have to be a little more creative with it. So how that works. So I always like to work backwards when I'm, when I'm figuring out what to charge for a project, especially when it's a, a set product. So if you think of a poster, say a band is selling 200 posters and they're going to sell them for $50 each. We'll just keep it simple. Mm -hmm. So that gives you 10 grand. So um, I just backtrack from that. So I'm like, okay, well, it's 10 grand. Um, the printer has their set fee and say it's two grand for printing. Okay, so that's then you have eight grand left. Well, then the venue takes 20% of everything. Mm -hmm. So that is that another two grand, something like that. Mm -hmm. So you have six grand left. Okay, well, then the band itself has to pay merch people. Um, they're going to want to make a certain cut from it. So they're not going to want to make, you know, a thousand dollars. They're going to want to make three, four thousand dollars, whatever it is. So the chunk that you have left from that is really small. It may only be a few thousand dollars. So you really can't, even if, which I do, I'll spend a hundred hours on something and say, I just want to charge a hundred bucks an hour or something like that. Like I can't charge $10,000. It makes no financial sense at all for the band to pay that. So the flat design rate is actually pretty low. And when I first started, I was like, man, how do people do this? Like the rates are just so low. There's just not a lot of money in it. So part of it was kind of trying to get that flat rate up as high as I could get it. But then the other part of gig posters, which is unique to that industry, is that as an artist, it's a pretty standard practice in the industry that you get to sell copies of the poster on your store or yourself. Oh, so cool. that's actually where the majority of the money comes from. Wow. So you then make a deal with the band of, okay, I get to sell X amount of, they call them AP um, copies, which is like artist press copies or artist proof copies. Um, and I get to sell X amount of these on my site. And for some of the bands, they charge a really high rate. For some bands like Dave Matthews, you can charge a lot more because the fans are just so rabid for it. Um, mm -hmm. Some bands, it's not. So honestly, sometimes I make the de determination if I'm going to work with the band pretty much solely based on, are your fans really in the posters? Yeah. Because if we're doing the flat rate thing and I'm not going to sell any on my site, then it's not going to be worth it to me because I have a hundred hours in on this thing. But if I know mm -hmm. your fans are going to sell them out and like Dave Matthews fans, last time I posted any of their, po or their uh, last poster I did for a Cincinnati show, they sold out in like 25 seconds. Wow. It was like 75 posters sold out in like 25 seconds. Some from your website. Yeah. From my website. And then, wow. so I get to, you know, I get that, money from those sales. I also have to do all the fulfillment and everything for it, which yeah, yeah. gets a little wild, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's how like those deals are structured. I a lot of fans and people think like, and even still then you're not making 
what you would want to make hourly on these. Like if I work for a PNG or another large client, I'm just charging a set hourly rate and I'm going to get it and it'll be, you know, pretty good financially for me. But the posters still, they're not like, they're not like killer projects, but it's like exactly what I want to do. Like yeah. I love illustrating. I love being able to illustrate like what I want. Like a lot of the bands, they don't like hold your hand with it. They're like, what, what would you want to do? And so it's this great mix of working in the music industry, working with bands you like and getting to illustrate pretty much exactly what you want to for the most part. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what would, what would you say the, if you could break it down maybe into like a pie chart of percentages of where your revenue is coming from? Cause that's so cool that you're, you're like have an e-commerce store yeah. and that you're making money from there. So I'm just trying to get a sense of like, what chunk is from e-commerce versus your client work? Um, let's see. I'll pull up my spreadsheet right now and I'll tell you. Because uh, that, that's pretty cool that you, yeah, you have this like little side business almost where uh, you're selling physical products. Yeah, you have to, like I said, you kind of have to get creative with it. And part of it is like looking at what other people are doing in the industry. And like when mm -hmm. I first started, I didn't sell AP copies. I didn't even know that was a thing. And when I learned about that, it was a total game changer. Like it, it really completely changed like how much I brought in every year. So like right now it's probably like 60, 40, like close to like 55, 45 or something of projects, like actual projects is like 60 and then maybe store is like 40. Wow. Which is a big chunk. Like last Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, like even last year it would have been like 80-20 or 90-10 or huh. something like that. So just this year even like last year I kind of got hip to the selling AP copies and stuff and this year I've got like really hip to it and knowing, you know, do I need to talk to the bands and be like, "No, I really need more AP copies. That's, you know, how I make the majority of my income on these projects." So Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. That is cool. So as you think about your business and where you want it to be, how are you measuring success for yourself? And, and where do you want your business to be maybe over the next year or so? I mean, financials is definitely part of it. I, I keep track of that like pretty strictly and always recording income, recording expenses. And that's just learning from like, okay, that project, I ate it on that because of X, Y, and Z or um, you know, it was, I thought it was only going to take this amount of time and it took double, whatever it may be. So financials is definitely part of it. Um, cause that's just part of like feeling more comfortable in general, like in life <laughs> and like, you know, can I afford to fix my car? Like I'm taking my car in tomorrow. Like, do I have enough money if the mechanic tells me it's going to be like three grand, which they could. So, um, that's definitely part of it is just like the comfort level of life and not always like panicking or having anxiety about like, can I afford to live sort of thing? So that's definitely part of how I gauge, like are things going well? How's business progressing? Um, the other part is like the type of work that I want to do at the beginning of every year, I create like a goals list of, okay, I'd really like to work with three new clients, whatever it is, six new clients. Um, I really would like to work on these types of projects. Like maybe I haven't gotten to work on like one thing I've wanted to do for a while is a movie poster. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've been doing music posters for a while, which is great, but like, how can I expand this? And so this summer I'm doing my first movie poster, which is cool. not a new release poster, but it's called a alternative movie poster. If you're familiar with those, Mm-mm. which is like license based where it's still working with the movie studio, but it's, you know, doing a poster for an old movie basically and like re-releasing uh, it through a studio. Cool. Um, so I'm doing like my first one of those just this summer, which is great. Um, so it's, it's a lot based on that. Like, am I hitting all these goals that I want? Like, am I working on the new stuff that I want to work on? Am I progressing? Like, I don't want to see that. Okay. I work with the exact same bands. I did the exact same amount of posters this year or projects this year. Like it's, it's great to see if it grows financially, but it's a lot of like, am I growing as an artist and a creative too? Um, and as far as the future, it's tricky to say because sometimes you're so focused on like the small picture stuff. It's sometimes hard to put on that hat of like five years out. Like the other day I was doing a poster illustrating and, um, I was like, I spent like an hour working on like the glare off glass where I was like, I need to make this glare look how it would actually look. And then like a few hours later that night, I'm like trying to game plan by hitting all these kind of larger goals. So it's, it's hard to pop back and forth between those mentalities. And sometimes you're just so like swamped with your current workload that you can't like take a step back and like see the forest for the trees sort of thing. Yeah, I I totally relate to that because Thomas and I, like, we were just so, so busy the last couple of years and we never thought strategically about our business. And so this is the first year where we're almost like, okay, like, we know we're like, worst case, we know we have a runway, right? Right. Um, So let's just like actually make some strategic decisions and see what happens. (laughs) Right. No, I totally understand. And that's another part of like, uh, the financial kind of like freedom that it gives you to be like, Oh, feeling okay. in that sense of like, I don't have to work every single, like be have 60 hours every single week or whatever. So one thing I'm hoping to do is like get a little bit of a cushion and then take off like two weeks in December, like during the holiday, which I never take off anyway, but like take off for the holiday, but also to like, just let my brain sit and think about yeah. that. Like, what do I actually want to do? Because just like I said earlier, like I don't want to hit whatever the next age milestone is 40 and then be like, what have I done? Like, why didn't I, you know, pivot or do this different thing? Like I was just so heads down. I didn't even think, you know, about it. So Mm -hmm. I I don't want to get into that. Yep. That makes total sense. So before we started recording here, we were chatting briefly and you said that uh, freelancing can be lonely at times. What have you done to combat that or to, to help fix that for your life? Having other folks to talk to, which is, um, I mentioned that we try to do, there's a handful of freelancers in Cincinnati that we're kind of buddies now. And though we're in different kind of like industries, we're still, you're still designers, you're still creatives, whatever it is, you're still managing your own projects and all this sort of thing. So Um, we try to get together maybe every month or two and just like commiserate and talk to each other and go through all that. So that's helpful. Um, 
I've thought about doing like a shared or like a co-working space. I've never pulled the trigger on it. Um, honestly, like it sounds bad. Like if I keep myself busy enough, which I do, like I kind of forget that I'm lonely. <laughs> that is like a lonely endeavor. Like you just keep yourself so busy, you're like kind of ignoring or putting it off. I do a lot of that. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope to, one thing that I'm hoping to do within the next year or two is actually move um, to a different city okay. and um, somewhere where there's just a larger base of creatives because Cincinnati is like we talked about before we started recording. There's a lot of agencies here and creatives that work for like all the larger companies like PNG and Kroger and GE, but there just doesn't seem to be a huge amount of freelancers that are kind of like going through something similar Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I do talk with other folks like on Instagram, I've met a few other poster artists and we'll like just chat through DM. Oh, you worked with that artist. Like, how was that? Or, Hey, can you introduce me to blah, blah, blah. Or I had this issue. Like sometimes you're just complaining or listening to someone else complain sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's helpful just to know like, okay, there's other people like going through the same stuff and like, it's cool. That's cool. So cool. We're, we're coming up on, on time here. So I want to get into the final freelancer fave five questions. Sure. So number one, I know we chatted before this um, where it's, it's tough in your industry to talk about revenue numbers, but in terms of revenue, what is the best month that you've ever had? Uh, yeah. So last, just this last month, last, um, which was July um, was the best month I've ever had. Yeah, it is hard to talk about revenue stuff because it it can be misleading too. If someone hears a big number, they're like, "Man, you're like you, you make three hundred grand a year," and you're like, "No, no, no, <laughs> you could not be more wrong." Like, you know, some months you make like uh, which month was it? It may have been May of this year. I recorded zero dollars of income, and it was just because you know I was still working, but the way that like billing and invoicing worked like i wasn't going to get paid until the following month um yep maybe i should change my question to how many months have you billed zero (laughs) dollars yeah yeah so like i think like through um may and june um i really like made almost nothing like was really scraping by and like just to like pay my mortgage and then all of those invoices hit in July. And so that's technically Mm -hmm. why I made the most money, but really it's because it was like three months worth of income, kind of all that happened to land in one month. So that's why I'm just like, I could tell you this huge number, but it's so misleading. It just (laughs) like doesn't even make sense. Yeah, definitely. All right, number two, what's a favorite book or two that's affected the way you've run your business? Um, The one that I've really like business wise is this book called tools of Titans, which is by yep. Tim Ferriss. Um, for a while I got like really into all Tim Ferriss stuff. Cause he's a, he really is this great entrepreneur who seems to be super optimistic and can like do anything that he sets his mind to. Anyhow, yep. this book is a collection of interviews. It's probably a few hundred interviews that he does with different, all sorts of different people from like, um, professional MMA fighters to Arnold Schwarzenegger to the CEO of Twitter, um, you know, anybody. He talks to all these different CEOs and industry leaders. 
and he asked them kind of the same questions or um, to see is there any similarities between all of them, um, kind of like you're doing now. And mm-hmm. also, um, like, what's your story? Like, how did you get started? And so I don't know if there's anything like there's an exact specific thing I've taken a reading other stories and like the hustle and grind that they went through. It just makes me think like when I get finished reading a chapter and interview, I'm like, all right, dude, like never complain about anything because yeah. like, you have it so much easier than what a lot of people have gone through to get to where they're at. And like, also, if you think like you're pushing now, you're really not pushing that hard. So like, I don't know, send out mm-hmm. five emails to new clients you never thought you'd work with before and just like introduce yourself. And it just gets me motivated. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Number three, what are some of your favorite software tools that you pay for that you use to grow your business? Uh, really the only software that I use. So I use all the Adobe suite because obviously I'm, I work in um, Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign a lot. Um, so those for sure. One thing, I guess you could say that those grow my business. One thing I've done just in the past year is I got a time tracking app. Okay. Called, Which one? It's called, I think it's pronounced Kato. It's C-A-A-T-O. And it's just called Kato Time Tracker. It's a super simple app. It doesn't have like a ton of uh, bells and whistles to it. I know a lot of people that I talk to, like almost no one tracks their time, like really strictly. That's like a designer and illustrator. And mm-hmm. that's been really helpful to me because I'll track every single thing that I do. And then I have a much better idea when the next project comes up that's similar. Or if someone's like, hey, I want this package design or something. I'm like, okay, I remember I did something a year ago that's similar. How long did that actually take me? Instead of mm. estimating and guessing, which is how you end up like, you always underestimate, <laughs> at least I do. So I'm yep. always like end up eating it on projects. So I would say that's helped me grow business and um, to just be more accurate on estimates based on time. Cool. Number four, what freelancer or micro business owner do you currently follow? Let's see. I follow a bunch. I would say it's, there's almost not like a single freelancer or owner that I follow. There's there's really like a collective and it's a lot of other like poster artists. It's a lot of other small studio owners. And I'm always interested, like how do you, and sometimes you can get a lot of information just on like checking out what they're doing. Um, so for, especially for like poster artists, I check out like, okay, how many are you selling of this print for this client? What, what price point are you selling them for? Like, are you doing variants or any special editions? Like kind of where, where are you at with that? And I've definitely like looked at that and been like, okay, I can either raise my prices or my prices are too high based on like the industry average. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of like an overall like industry, like always being aware and looking of like, okay, they're doing this. Like, okay, you can do that. And just kind of getting ideas just from a general awareness. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. All right. Number five, uh, it sounds like you think about age a lot. So if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would that be? Um, let's see I, what I, I would do. So I actually started, or at least I, I feel like I started fairly late in the game. Like I really didn't start like getting more serious about illustrating until I don't know, maybe four years ago, five years ago, I'd always done graphic design, 
Um, and I had always looked at like illustrators and followed illustrators work. And I was just like, I, that's not what I do though. I like, and not in the way that that's not what I want to do, but that's, I can't do that. Like my limit is graphic design and I can do like branding and I can do like t-shirt designs and more simple stuff. Um, but like, I don't have the skills or creative, um, ability to like do a full illustration of something or a scene illustration. That's just, I can't do that. And I eventually just kind of like slowly pushed myself into it to the point now where I'm sure like me four years ago, if I looked at one of the things projects I do now, you know, my head would explode just because my, I was so like, so close minded on like, I can't do that thing. So I think I would tell myself like earlier on and even like if I could when I was like 18, 20, I'm like, no, you can do those things. Like you just have to put the time into it because there's such a gap mm -hmm. when you're like, I can't do anything. And then seeing like a pro and it's just like, there's no way I'll ever like cross that bridge. So I think it's like yep. just telling yourself like, no, you can, like it's going to take years, but like you will get there. And I still see other people's work where I'm like, I'll never get to that point. And hopefully I'll learn from myself and think like, okay, I will. It may be another like three, five years until I do, but like it can happen like just like it happened before. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. Nicholas, thanks so much for, for chatting with me today. This was great. If any of yeah, our listeners cool. want to find out more about you or maybe buy some of your posters, where would they find you? Um, I keep my Instagram pretty updated, which is just at Nicholas Mowgli. And I also keep my portfolio site really updated. I know it's people like don't even use portfolio <laughs> websites that much anymore with social media, like outdated. But, uh, I still keep that really updated, which is just nicholasmowgli.com. Cool. Yeah, the uh, your website's great. I was on it uh, today looking at it, and it's, it's really oh, nice. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great chatting. Yeah, thanks, man.